0: the more specific you can be about who that audience is and in what way you want to connect with them, uh, the better a, your writing is going to be and more, more, you know, to the point your marketing is going to be, the more you're going to be able to communicate with that audience and you're going to get more confident and be more, um, sure of what you're doing. If you think, you know, this is who I'm writing for. And I think, you know, another key thing that I figured out in the last year or so is like, think about who you want to repel. Like, who do you, who do you want to alienate (laughs) by what you're doing? And, you know, who would you not care if they never looked at your thing ever? And if you do that, you can start to really put boundaries around what it is you are, you do care about and who it is you are really pursuing.
1: Everyone, welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 16. I'm Jamie Berger. You may know Jessica Abel as the author of comics and graphic novels such as La Perdida, Art Babe, Life Sucks, or if you're coming to us from the future, you may know her as the author of Trish Trash, Roller Girl of Mars, which is coming out in November 2016. A whole other set of people know Jessica as the author of Radio and Illustrated Guide. Until last spring, I knew her as the editor of the annual Best American Comics anthology. Then last spring, I bought Out on the Wire, the wildly successful book with the subtitle The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio, that is a graphic history and discussion of the making of This American Life, Radio Lab, and other much-beloved new American radio. Last spring, in partial preparation and continued procrastination before starting this podcast, which I'd been trying to get rolling for about two years, I was reading out on the wire and starting to listen to some of the recordings I'd made over those two years, and I went to the blog of Out on the Wire and found out that there was a podcast, and I listened to a little bit of the podcast, which led me to Jessica's website, on which, on the first page, before any of her creative work, she starts writing with the fact that she helps people make their work. She leads workshops that help address issues such as, what's wrong with me that I can't get my work done? Is it absolutely necessary that it be this hard? Maybe I'm just not creative enough, which really hit home for me, and I could repeat all those sentences with an F word somewhere in the middle, and they would more accurately reflect the two years that I'd gone through not starting the actual podcast, So, at the last possible date after hemming and hawing, I signed up for Jessica's six week online workshop, which coincided exactly with the date, June 1st, that I wanted to have the first episode of the podcast out. And six weeks later, inspired, productive, getting shit done, the first episode of 15 Minutes came out, and I've never looked back. So, I am really thrilled and thankful and appreciative. Of Jessica Abel and glad that she was down to record an episode. One quick note. A term that comes up a fair amount in our conversation is that of idea debt, which Jessica Abel defines as when you spend too much time picturing what a project is going to be like, too much time thinking about how awesome it will be to have this thing done and in the world, too much time imagining how cool you will look, how in demand you'll be, how much money you'll make, and way too little time actually making the thing. We spoke in August. (laughs) Seeing as you've told me you're visiting your mom, why don't we st- start with, uh, you know that that's that's always the when I listen to people and talk to people most recently listening to David Sedaris talking about his father never appreciating him, And as much as he was in The New Yorker, his father always dreamed of him being in the local North Carolina paper, and that would have been fame <laughs> or success. Uh, how do you feel about your work and your family?
0: Um, I've always had a lot of support from my family, um, from my mom, especially. Uh, she never, I mean, it's funny cause we just did a, a party for her the other day. We did a, um, my sister and I threw a surprise 75th birthday for birthday party for her. And I had to give a little toast, a little talk. And this is exactly what I talked about really that like everybody else I know in the artistic world, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but most of them, have stories of you know skeptical parents Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and um i just never got that from my mom you know never did and she she's always just thought that i could do whatever i wanted to do and uh, um and and sort of got behind me for being cartoonist and she didn't she certainly didn't expect it It wasn't which where she thought i was gonna end up but um has never evidenced any any problem with it at all.
1: Cool. And she gets it.
0: Yeah. She's an artist too. I mean, she's not a um, professional artist, but she's, um, she was professionally, uh, a writer and editor and, um, is a talented painter and, you know, sort of a, a serious amateur.
1: Hmm. Great, I, I feel like I can't let any episode go by without mentioning my mother. I, I felt the same way about her. My father as well, but my mother really was my first reader and my first editor of everything I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah my father's also been supportive, um, but he's just not. He's like I haven't lived with him since I was tiny, and um, and he's much less uh, effusive about anything. And he's a literary agent, so he understands the book world. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Wow. Uh, Where did she imagine you'd be? Or what did she imagine? I have no idea.
0: Well, I mean, being a cartoonist is not really what anybody imagines, mostly. Um,
1: One thing that I I thought about this week was, in terms of, of, of your career, is that you've left, and in terms of fame and attention and acclaim and looking for it or avoiding it uh that you've left the country twice to make work for good chunks of mm-hmm. time yeah and did you think that had has to do with some of the getting away from the you know any kind of competitiveness or
0: no not at all not at all and um i think that it, it in both cases the primary reason has been life experience you know just um I think as a human being, it's a great idea, but as an artist, it's essential to be able to um, get perspective on your own experience and to have, you know, nobody's objective, but have some sense of where you fit, you know, and what what's around you and, and what's in the world. Um, and so that was really the primary reason. But in both cases, also, um, there's financial reasons because they... Um, Living in France, were both it was more affordable and and uh, easier for an artist to get by. There's a real financial motivation for l- moving someplace with a lower cost of living, like Mexico, and that was really that was the moment that I was able to transition from um, working a, a full time job and doing comics and stuff on the side and illustration on the side and making that the center of my life.
1: And when did the first book come out? The first radio
0: book uh, in nine, 99.
1: So did you know after that that you wanted to do another one? And or that you wanted to do radio? No. Or podcast?
0: No, not for a long time. Um, and I didn't think of doing radio or podcast until after I finished the book, the Out on the Wire, the new book. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, after Radio and Illustrated Guide, I mean, if you... It's not... You know, I've never been famous in any kind of um, objective way, but I, I have a certain following you know people have heard my name within the the circles of people who read you know graphic novels and stuff and so there's there's a certain level of that that I've retained with me over time and um and a lot of it just has to do with it's not you know fame to me I guess sounds like something that's has become divorced from the work you know that it's it's more than just having readers or listeners or the audience you know having like an audience who's like really you know invested in your work that's one thing that's having a following and having having fans and having you know and you have a relationship with those people that goes back and forth you know there's a mutuality to that
1: yes that's the i i've been starting to break it up in my mind as i do this between fame and acclaim and celebrity yeah. Celebrity purely one way. Fame is a little less than that. And acclaim is your, your peers and people who really appreciate what you do, as, as I see it.
0: Yeah. Well, even acclaim, I mean, you know, I have um, many, uh, I've had many, many conversations over the years with people who are very attentive, critical readers and have had really interesting insights on my books, you know, and they're fans. They're people who like my books. But they have a lot to say about the books and a lot of thoughts about them. So, and again, a claim sounds to me like something that's somewhat one way. That there's a, um, you know, they're telling me how great I am. And um, there is a give back, you know. And especially now that I'm more involved in blogging. Um, and that social media is more of a thing. Um, you know, I see the way that you actually form a relationship with your readers. Um,
1: Yeah. And you seem quite committed to it and not just to the readers, but to kind of in the workshops that you're doing. So putting it out there that in a sense, we are all peers, but I've been doing this a long time and I learned these rules and you can be doing this, Uh, which is what a lot of people kind of separate from when they get a certain level of success.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, the, you know, even the level of success that I have, there's there are plenty of requests for assistance and help that go beyond what I'm willing to do, you know, or what I'm able to do. You know, like somebody writes me an email and asks for advice on something in great detail, and I'm like, you know, I'll give you like a couple words back of, you know, generalized advice, but I can't, you know, I don't write that, obviously, but like, you know, I, I can't get into this, like an email chain with somebody... About sure. Something. So there's, I, I, yeah. there's, there's limitations, but at the same time, I've always been really, really interested in teaching in the largest sense, and in um, sharing what it is that I have learned. I find that relationship really rewarding, um, and you know, it goes back to the earliest days of my having any readership at all. You know, that when I um, built my first website in 97, um, there was a section on there, which some of it's still on my site, actually, um, called DIY, where there's, you know, like stuff about brushes and how to lay out pages. And this, at the time, was incredibly hard-won information because the Internet didn't exist in its current form. And, you know, I belonged to various listservs and things. I didn't know anybody who made comics. I had to learn it all, essentially— by picking up tips from listservs. And um, I compiled that information and um, in my own, you know, things I'd discovered and put them out on my website. And um, although it's not as well trafficked now for a really long time, uh, that was like the most popular part of my site. And, and people would just, you know, people would write me letters saying, you know, how much they appreciated it. And I still, you know, there's a bunch of people I know who made their first mini comics you know, who now are professional cartoonists who made their first mini-comics using my mini-comics guide from my website. You know, and that's incredibly gratifying. And even with you, Jamie, seeing you go from feeling like you completely could not um, get this, you know, you had this thing you desperately wanted to do, but you just could not figure out how to organize yourself, um, you know, in such a way as to make it happen, and then now you have a you know you have a podcast with multiple episodes out, and you're you know doing new interviews, and it's and it's like it's a train that's moving, and that's really gratifying too. It's really satisfying to see that to see other people be able to um, make their own uh, creative lives work for them.
1: Yes, thank you. <laughs>
0: uh, you
1: you your workshop appeared on my horizon at exactly the right moment. If after two years of dithering and kind of recording people and then getting ready and saying this, this, this June, it's going to happen. And uh, listening to Alex Bloomberg's uh, little uh, creative live course. And then I just saw like, it popped up on my horizon, like I think a day or a week before the deadline to sign up. And as much as I have regressed to my somewhat chaotic self, it was it was having a boss and like it or not that was you (laughs) and even that first uh group video meeting seeing those dozen faces and knowing that there's a little community of people struggling that's probably a much bigger community to get stuff started
0: Right. I mean, understanding that this is not, and this is, you know, again, this is teaching. This is, you know, putting people together in a group and saying, let's all learn from each other. And because I learn a ton from my students. I mean, that's the other reason it's yeah. rewarding. It's not just seeing every success. It's like, I don't, yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't go in, it's not a one-way relationship. You know, that's getting back to what we were talking about, about fame. It's, it's not one way at all. I could not have developed the course that I did, the workshop that you were in, without running it with a pilot group. I have my own special set of problems with productivity and getting my work done, you know, and you have different ones and everybody, you know, and so developing these um, materials has to do with really listening to what it is that you are experiencing. So that's, again, you know, the relationship is, it goes both ways. And the more I learn that, the more true I find it.
1: Absolutely. I, I, this may, I was also finishing up with four years of working I work one-on-one with students at a prep school near me uh, for kind of their whole careers as something of a tutor, advisor, buddy, academic coach is the term. And one of my students who has taught me more than anyone else, Esteban Velez, if you're out there, uh, about persevering and staying with stuff and working really hard, (laughs) uh, was graduating. And that also helped me.
0: Yeah. Seeing that success is a a kickstart.
1: So this past year, I don't know if if you even realize what a whirlwind you've been on, in that you've kind of written a Bible that everyone carries around now. What do you mean by that? Everyone who I meet who is doing some kind of radio is carrying out on the wire around.
0: Oh, well, that's good. I mean, that's what I hope
1: for. Yeah. I mean, And so you, I assume, have a whole new set of... uh, audience and people you're communicating with that you've never known before.
0: Right. Well, this is what I I guess I was trying to get at this and then lost my thread earlier that, um, the, the radio and illustrated guide, um, illustrated this concept of, um, the reciprocal relationship of, of readers and creators, you know, because I created it, um, at Ira's behest, for basically a pledge drive premium. And um, it was just one of his cool, wacky ideas of like how to make the pledge drives not horrible, you know? And then essentially, Ira started selling, you know, or This American Life started selling the book via their website in 99 or, you know, 2000. And um, then, and I kind of forgot about it, you know, I would get royalty checks. Um, which is unusual, by the way. I mean, I don't know if you've written published work, but getting royalty checks is not. People think that you write a book and suddenly you like have this, you know, stream of income. Not true, mostly. Um, but this this book provided royalty checks, and then as the years go on, we went back to print. We went back to print. We went back to print. I would run into people at, um, you know, comics conventions, and they would tell me how important the um, how important the uh, book was to them and their development. I, I met radio producers who were professional radio producers because of my book. Um, and I got royalty checks and I just kept making money off the book. And I'm thinking, this is needed. Like this is something bigger than it really set out to be and really bigger in a way than it is. Do you know what I mean? Like it, there's, there was nothing else out there that kind of walked through this process and yet it was really so minimal. I mean, the, the, uh, the relevant content of Radio and Illustrated Guide is 24 pages long, 24 pages, and that's it. And I thought there just is so much more to say about this, and especially now that, you know, this American life at the time, we're talking 2010, maybe I started thinking about doing this. So 10 years later, 11 years later gotten so huge, had done TV, like you know all all of these things had happened. You know, I was doing live shows left and right. I mean, he'd done them for ages, but more and more. And I saw just the beginning of more shows like that happening as well. And I thought this is a real opportunity to say more about what goes into this. Um, so essentially, what I'm trying to say is I knew that that readership was there and hungry for. kind of information and i knew i could do it you know uh, the process of coming up with the exact book that it is is a little more tortured than i explained but um the you know the basic idea of going deeper and telling more about what goes into making narrative radio
1: and slightly changing but did the did the idea of the the workshops and the and the google group and the podcast come from the book starting to have success or was that part of the plan
0: the podcast i came up with because i was thinking about how to communicate and market the book you know before the book came out i was thinking i was planning this in the summer before it came out and uh, initially i was thinking of doing a series of blog posts of using outtakes from from my interviews because just you know it's a brutal process of cutting down from what you've got to, you know, final work, as you know, already, and you're not even doing narrative work, but if you do narrative work, you'll find out even more. It's like you, I know you cut your interviews more than most interview podcasts do, which is laudable. I, I applaud you for that. But also, you know, if you were then to take this and to craft it into something more narrative, you'd be taking maybe 5% of that, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's painful. <laughs> and um so I wanted to use some of that material and I thought, oh, you know, I'll make blog posts out of this. And so I'd save stuff into a, you know, a folder as I went, that were sort of good ideas for, for blog posts. And then um I thought, you know, I've got this stuff on audio. I could do little audio clips and put them in the blog post. And then I was like, Podcast.
1: Like
0: <laughs> duh. And it turned out uh completely, completely by chance that Benjamin Frisch uh my, um, comics colleague who was at Angulam at the same time at this, um, comics residency, same time I was, turns out to be an NPR trained producer who had done his own independent work as well and stuff. And so I asked him if he wanted to get involved and he was, he said, absolutely. And so we started working on it and then the format of it. So, and you, you're kind of glossing over this for people who haven't, you know, seen the book or anything. So, Out on the Wire is a book about how the best narrative podcasts and radio shows are put together, like This American Life and Radio Lab and so on. Then, we created the Out on the Wire podcast to sort of expand out from the book, following the structure of Out on the Wire the book. Out on the Wire the podcast goes through the same structure, but it kind of explodes it out a little bit and gives it a little bit more detail. And Out on the Wire the book is not explicitly p- pedagogical, it's meant to be more just kind of an interesting read with lots of information in there for those who are looking, but also to be appealing to people who are not looking to be taught. Um, but Out on the Wire, the podcast has, although I, I hope it's still entertaining, has a much more pedagogical mission. Like, here's how you actually do oh, this step yes, by step. Yes, it
1: sure does. Sometimes it's it's painful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just re-listening to episode. Uh, oh, it's funny, the one that's supposed to be most inspiring is the hardest for me, episode uh, eight, the last one, with the three people who are getting it done yeah
0: episode nine nine yeah.
1: yes and yeah you know I, it was just the mood i was in last night and i it, because it was like <laughs> i'm 51 years old and i have three part-time jobs and a bunch of debt and i and i'm i'm out and i live in turners falls massachusetts now so like the connection to the world there there were just so many reasons i was naysaying that I can do any of what the three of them were doing, uh, which was silly. And this morning I woke up feeling better. But you have to listen to and, and work through it and hear it.
0: Yeah. And you have to think, you know, that one is maybe less pedagogical than other episodes. But, in, you know, but it is meant to be like, look, there are different ways to solve this problem. You know?
1: Yes. Yes. It, it's yeah. more anecdotal yeah. solutions. But um, yeah. So,
0: yeah as we worked through what the format of the podcast would be, um, it made sense to make it a season with a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, so because we were developing, basically the audience could develop a story along with us. So if you, and still can, you know, I mean, it's, it's up there and like, it's not in real time, but you know, it's still designed as almost a mini course on making a story. Um, and so there's an end to that process, right? The story is done. And so the podcast also has an end and we left the door open by calling it season one to doing another season, but I don't actually think that's going to happen. I think if I do another podcast, it will be a different podcast. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, how do we, you know, how could we make this cool and special? And that's when we added the Google group for people could, um, post their work and get feedback. And that was really Cool. You know, and again, that was a way for me to learn from the audience because if it was just a podcast going out, I would depend on people getting around to writing me emails and telling me what it was that they learned or, you know, what they got from it or whatever. And um, since it was a group, I could actually see their work and hear their concerns and understand where they were getting stuck and build the podcast based on that. So there were several episodes where we um, – Responded directly to things people weren't getting, you know in the group. Yeah. Yeah uh,
1: Which was very useful.
0: Yeah, i for me, too. So uh, and and it helped me clarify very Very much helped me clarify a few of my sort of story building concepts in a way that you know now I've done workshops live workshops using um, the story structure pieces, you know the Madlib and the um, XY story formula and all that Which are really successful and really fun and it's because I was able to, um, you know, work through the stuff with, you know, with people in the... Aldara, no. Aldara, are you kidding me? <laughs> Aldara, I'm on the phone. If you want to do that, take it outside, please.
1: So you're, so you're returning after this, this year of being the woman who wrote that great comic book about Ira Glass and the radio. To your, what I assume is your first love, to a fictional... Book. have you thought about the people who are going to be who've never read much either graphic novels or certainly science fiction graphic novels who are going to be coming in because you're the jessica Abel that they from out on the wire and what their perception is going to be I, I i think it'll be kind of interesting
0: well i think that i have very little audience that established audience that is prepared for the kind of book that trish trash is you know, that's exciting. It is isn't. it isn't. I mean, I don't think that's particularly wise on my part, you know. Um, I I think that it's really aimed at a very different audience. And I think that, that many of the people who read Out on the Wire would certainly enjoy Trish Trash, but it's going to be a little, like, romp for them. It's not going to be, you know, it's, um, it's aimed at um, everyone from sort of 15-year-olds on up, you know. So it's not a heavy-duty adult book. It has many of the same basic concerns that I've always had in my fiction of, you know, um, uh, interpersonal relationships and class struggle and families and friends, you know, like those kinds of things are all in there, but it's on Mars in 200 years. And there's this, you know, hover derby sport that is top sport and they're aliens. And, you know, there's like stuff that I haven't had at all before. And I've always loved reading books like this, but I've never made one like this before. So I really think I'm speaking to an entirely different audience. And the people who come in from out on the wire, well, you know, sink or swim, like you can, you like it or you don't. And then that's fine with me. It's not, I'm not asking you to, but you know, my, my audience from La Perdida is no more likely to, well, a little bit more likely because they read fiction, graphic novels. And so that means they probably have a wide range of tastes.
1: You know, right, but you're. I understand that you're. This time, you're going from teen to adult, and even for them, it's going to be a big leap. Yeah,
0: the people who are the most the, the readers of mine who are the closest to this cohort are the people who read Life Sucks and liked it. Life Sucks is my um, vampire romance.
1: So the way you describe Trish Trash, I can't help but think: Are there any fantasies, thoughts, ambitions to make a movie? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've had that thought too about um, life sucks and about La Perdida, um, and I think there was a time in the past when I thought a little bit more in terms of fame with that—not that I would be famous, but that the book would be more famous and I would, you know, be able to make better money off from it, and you know, it would be a launchpad to do new cool projects. I have no illusions about that now, having had many, many discussions over many years with many producers and never having anything happen. So it's quite possible that one day one of my projects will make it past the discussion phase. Um, Trish Trash is certainly a good candidate for that. Um, but so is La Perdita and so is Life Sucks. They all have their own... You know, Life Sucks and La Perdita are both books that would be extremely cheap to make as film or TV. The, this Unlike Trish Trash, the settings are easy... You know, there's no tech involved, you know, very cheap. So that's an advantage, you know, for, for small uh, producers, you know, to sort of who are trying to find some cool project to make their way in. Um, and so that's totally possible that that could happen.
1: So earlier I was trying to get to something, and that is that as Out on the wires is going to, it seems like it's going to become a staple of, of certain classes and you go on to make other things that, that are more, you know, coming back to fiction, you seem like someone who's just about making what you're making and, and enjoying that. Will there be any, is there any part of you that will be like, Oh, I don't want you to just know who I am for that book. Cause that's not really me or that's just this little piece of what I did for a, a decade do you know what I mean? Like I, there are things, uh,
0: yeah, like, uh, but I don't have any books that I'm, uh, cause I think that happens most when people do something that they're like, not that proud of, you know, that, that they feel that when they're like, Oh, well that's my, you know, crappy one-off thing that I did. And I don't want to be known for that, but I'm, ha- I'm proud of all my books. I like what I've done. So if you know me only for La Perdida, that's fine with me. If you've only read Life Sucks, that's fine with me. You know, If you've only read Out on the Wire, that's fine too. And I think most of you know, uh, there, there's always going to be a large number of people who just see the book and they don't, they're not curious enough to look for other stuff. But if they look for other stuff, they'll find my other books and maybe they'll be curious enough to find out more about you know who I am and what else I've done. I think one of the biggest problems with, um artists and writers communicating about their work is they think everybody should like it you know who's your audience well it's everybody you know and who's who's who are you trying to talk to here and who well you know like the world and it's just it's just absolutely false it's just absolutely wrong that's not how it works
1: Yeah I just spent five weeks with and it I feel like it's young to be it's like telling them there's no Santa but I've been telling, 10th graders this for five weeks that 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 the greatest writer you've ever loved only a fraction of people love them and so you have Mm -hmm. to think about who are you writing for Uh, you know and and get over it that 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 some people like probably one of your parents won't be that audience Uh,
0: yeah yeah and and the more specific you can be about who that audience is and in what way you want to connect with them, uh, the better, A, your writing is going to be and more, more you know, to the point your marketing is going to be. The more you're going to be able to communicate with that audience and you're going to get more confident and be more um, sure of what you're doing if you think, you know, this is who I'm writing for. And I think, you know, another key thing that I figured out in the last year or so is, like, think about who you want to repel. Like, who do you, who do you want to alienate <laughs> by what you're doing. And, you know, who would you not care if they never looked at your thing Oh, ever? I like that. And if you do that, you can start to really put boundaries around what it is you are, you do care about and who it is you are really pursuing.
1: I like that in terms of what I'm doing right now. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's a good one.
0: I feel in terms of fame specifically, I feel like I'm in um, in... A totally not unique position, but an interesting position of, of having, you know, maybe not quite enough fame in terms of making a living, but, but plenty in terms of having satisfaction, knowing that my work is read and appreciated and loved, you know, that that is very satisfying to me. And again, I don't really think of that as fame, but i um, in the context of what we're talking about here, that having a readership is, you know, if I didn't have that, that would be very, hard for me. You know, it'd be hard for me to continue.
1: Having a community of readers. Yeah. I I say that to to people about the podcast, but especially because in this format, it's very, very hard to gauge, but in a year I need to know that there are certain people and you're right by communicating back to me and having a conversation, I'll know Mm -hmm. that aren't just my friends and family who are listening. That's really all I we will need to do this for a long time
0: yeah you should listen to the dave kellett part of out on the wire nine again because he talks about the long hard road um although possibly it's in the longer cut of the interview i don't know if it made it into the final thing but like he was working no
1: it's there yeah yeah
0: i mean he's working for two or three years uh on his you know like a daily web comic daily uh basically only his mom reading it (laughs) <laughs> before it started to turn into something and now he makes a very good living off of two web comics and he's you know he's changed up all the time he, he just wrote me a proposal to do like a, de- a guest comic for him which I can't do right now because of time but you know it pays good money like he's he's able to pay artists to to do guest comics for him it's amazing he's he's such a great guy like such a great thinker in terms of that so and that's you know it's really it's he's Built his audience from scratch. He owns that audience. You know, they are his, he is theirs. Like, it's a relationship that goes back years. And that is the secret. You know, that's why you have your own podcast. That's why you have a blog. That's why you don't do everything on social media, is because you need to have, you know, that's why we all have, you have to have an email list. Do you have an email list, Jamie?
1: Not yet. What? I th- there's there's a place on the site you can click but I have no I haven't put together the people I already know Jamie and I'm
0: Jamie okay today, that is like the most important thing you could do if there's one thing listen listeners listeners to the 15 minutes podcast if you are trying to build an audience the number one thing you can do is build an email list and communicate with them regularly you have to focus on reaching your audience but thinking about it in terms of fame is deadly it's deadly
1: Oh and yeah, so it's and it. it's gotten in my way. And
0: you make the wrong choices. If, so, it makes I, you make I, the wrong choices.
1: Certainly, back in San Francisco and New York before that, yes, it was so in my way. Yeah,
0: so I had somebody write me like people write me every week about you know responding to my mailing list because I have like an auto, automatic sequence sending out you know most of my blog posts about productivity and stuff you know to people who sign up for my list. Yeah, yeah, something you can do. Yes, got it. Uh, got and it. so. <laughs> anyway so people write back to me every week to some of these things and somebody wrote me like a week ago or so saying um I'm really struggling with uh trying to I think she was trying to make comics or something and she's like I'm trying to make my first comic and I really want to do this and I don't know you know like should I make it a career or blah blah, <laughs> blah and I'm like stop right where you are or no writing she was writing stories and she's like you know and how do I like sell it and blah 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 and I'm like if you don't even know you want to write, like you're not sure mm-hmm. you want to write, don't worry about this other stuff. Don't worry about selling it. And you're allowed to be a writer. You're ra- allowed to be a creative person without um, going for fame, you know, without going for the big bucks. You, you can be this um, private person who has a super rewarding practice of creativity that that's permitted and not only permitted encouraged because like we've got enough people out there trying to like flog their stuff on us. You know, it's like find your tiny audience and, and appreciate it with them and, you know, find a writer's group that you can share with or whatever. And she, she was so relieved. She wrote back like, Oh my God, I'd never thought about it that way. Like, I just don't, I don't have to make this into a, a career. Cause she's like, I, I'm also going to school for something. I forget what it was. And I don't know what, which one to do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, like, I
1: I don't know I don't know what kind of learner I am at this point in my life, but I absorb more than study, and I and I and I I I I, I kind of dilettantishly dip in and out, and yes, can be dramatic in positive and negative ways. But it was the I as much as you know the tools like Trello. And other things. I used them during that workshop. And they helped me get, get started and get rolling. And I used the sheets you had us do. And they helped me get started and get rolling. And now what I could use is you know the money to afford someone to coach me once a week for the rest of my life. Because it's all dropped away. But I am doing my work every week. And finding a way to get it done without having the on-paper or on-screen uh, spreadsheet to do so. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still don't do it. Uh, but it, it's in my head somewhere, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the key is the sense of ownership over it, you know, that it's possible and that you can, you know, that's when it comes down to it, that's the basics, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... and yeah and there's something about your personality and how matter of fact you were about there was there's kind of underlying get over it yourself, you can do this just do it here's how you do it here here here's a wrench shut up and get get out you know <laughs> I've also been skeptical of my, you know, I've probably taken 50 workshops in my life in, in various forms of writing or improvising or acting or, and I'm always very skeptical about the level to which this person is just has to teach for a living or has, you know, or, or the same thing with therapists where the more, empathetic to my actual work they seem the more skeptical i am about it and you you kind of took that element out of it in a way you you were just like it doesn't i you kind of you didn't make this a part or not a part of the workshop but you were just like there was a something about it was like what you specifically are doing is not my problem it's helping you do it and and I fear that from therapists and from teachers <laughs> that they can pretend they're being objective, but they're looking at my stuff and thinking it's crap. And 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 your workshop that very quickly became a non-issue, and especially with this thing where so many people out in the world—I don't know why—I'm being more confident than I usually am. Like almost everyone who I know close to me in my little town is like fame. What do you know or care about fame and why? And why would you deal with this yicky stuff? And, and also, my first uh, troll I got on Facebook after week two was, why don't you try being a little famous first, douchebag, or something like that, which made it like, yes, this is mm-hmm. why I'm doing this, because you're so angry at me about fame.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: that's the guy.
0: Yeah, that guy, make that guy mad. That's your mission. Yeah. Imagine that guy every time you're doing something and you'll be like, on fire. But yeah, like that totally the guy, the troll guy, like think of that guy and be like, yeah, F you. You know, like
1: And fame is obviously as big a deal to you as it is to me, and it's getting in your way too. Exactly. So you should think about it. Right.
0: And I think that's the thing too, in terms of like the Creative Focus Workshop, too, is that the, the, um, the, the people who are in there, many of them are hung up on fame. You know, they don't think they are. They think they're just trying to make their thing. But really, they're thinking about, they have the idea debt of, like, how is this going to play out in the world?
1: Yeah. And I, I feel like I've always taught people that. But, you know.
0: Yeah. Right. Learning it. Right. Learning it is really hard.
1: And maybe it's serendipity, but it's certainly partially your workshop and maybe i found a medium that i just like to work in more than i ever liked writing (laughs) that i'm just gonna do it anyway because i have more fun at it and i I love editing yeah um and but the combination has kind of maybe gotten me to a place where suddenly i'll be three years down the line doing this and i'll be like yeah i'm just doing it because you know it's hard for me to stop i'm supposed to take a break now for a couple weeks and catch up with some recordings and i don't want to stop making one every week
0: that's that's a great feeling. Yeah, it's great.
1: I'm scared to stop.
0: Don't. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. I think that's a great feeling. Knowing that is like, that's what's going to keep you going. And I think it's, you know, for me too, like I'm, I'm working on Trish Trash right now, but I'm really like ready to not be doing comics, you know, for a long time. You know, I'm ready to do other stuff. Like I, I'm enjoying writing a lot. Um, I'm starting a new job, you know, as the head of an illustration department. Um,
1: yeah, I didn't ask. What is it?
0: Hey. Well, it's a small art school in Philadelphia and um, they have a new, it's an old school and they have a new illustration department that I get to develop from the ground up. And um, it's a, an amazing opportunity, but it's a whole new ball of wax. Like I've never had a job like this before. Mm-hmm.
1: So full on, ac- academia. full on
0: academia, tiny school, not a lot of bureaucracy, but still, you know, like I'm in charge of people. I have, you know, I am one of the faces of the school. What's it called? It's called um, the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. So that's a scary thing, you know, but I'm ready to be doing other things. um, And I still have this project I need to finish. But And for for a while, when I switched gears into doing the workshop and then later, you know, got this opportunity to apply for this job, I was like feeling really um, weird about the limited relevance of my body of work to what I'm doing right now you know, um, you know, writing about productivity and stuff. I mean, certainly my life experience is very relevant, but like the actual work itself, not that relevant. And um, it felt really hard, but it's like a giving up of something, you know, saying saying that that's okay with me. Um, And that's, that's difficult. And that's what you're doing, moving to podcasting from writing. It's like, you have to say, it's okay that I'm now identifying as a podcaster and an interviewer and not a writer.
1: And and it'll return to me if it, if it if it's supposed to.
0: Exactly. Like you, it's not like you can't just you know pick up the laptop or the pen or however it is you write, you know, whenever you want. Anyway, things are falling apart here, so I should go.
1: Well, have a great rest of August and good luck on the job. Yeah,
0: thanks. And uh, this was fun. We'll talk soon.
1: Thanks so much. Bye bye. For more about the many wonders of which we spoke, go to jessicaable.com. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-A-B-E-L dot com. In the next few weeks, guests will include NPR's Tina Antolini, Bulldog's Nora Murphy, and in coming months, we'll have Neil Pollack, George Saunders, Amber Tamlin, various high school students, retirees, artists, and much, much more. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. It's really important, or wherever you listen. And find us at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 15minutesjamieberger.com, J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R. Or by searching 15 Minutes Jamie Berger on Facebook. God, that's saying my name a lot of times. Or we are on Twitter and Instagram at 15 minsjamieb And last and newest, any day now, I'll be up asking you for money at patreon.com. So ponder that one. Thank you so much for listening. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.